Hi, everyone, and welcome to uh, a kind of different episode of Square Mile of Murder. Today, we are sharing with you an episode that originally appeared on our Patreon. We wanted to share this episode to the main feed so that everyone could have a listen to this new format that we're trying for some of our Patreon uh, bonus episodes. Um, it's just something a little bit different, and Kat and I both really enjoyed trying it out, and and so we've now done two bonus episodes in this format, and we'll continue to release more uh, in the future. And so we wanted to give you guys a little taste of what it sounds like. So if you like the way this episode sounds, if you like the format, and you want to hear more, uh, we have one more episode like this on our Patreon right now, and we will have more in the future. So if you want to check that out, you can go to patreon.com slash square mile of murder and, uh, and check them out for yourselves. We also have a whole, whole bunch of other bonus episodes and minisodes and fun, random episodes, rambles, all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, so if you find anything there that you're you're interested in, uh, we would love to have you as patrons. If you're not interested in that, please just enjoy uh, this special episode. And as always, let us know what you think about the case, what your theories are, um, and also let us know what you think about the format. Because if you guys really like it, you know, we could potentially pepper this kind of format into our regular episodes uh, every now and then. So let us know about all of the things. Check out the Patreon if you're interested. Let us know what you think on social media. We're at Square Mile of Murder. And yeah, enjoy. Uh, I will hand it over to pre-recorded Kat to tell you the story of the man on the moors. In December 2015, on a remote moor in northern England, the body of an unidentified man was found by a hiker. The hunt to identify this man and understand how he died would take 13 months and lead investigators to southern Asia, but more than five years later, many questions still remain unanswered. I'm Kat, and welcome to Square Mile of Murder. You will have noticed by that silence that Taylor is not with us right now. But don't worry, she will be dropping in later to give us her thoughts on this story that is almost stranger than fiction. Saddle with Moor in northwest England casts a very long, dark and painful shadow. It is a wild and beautiful but desolate place. The wilderness less than an hour from Manchester is where Moore's murderers Ian Brady and Myra Hindley murdered and buried four of their five victims between 1963 and 1965, one of whom, Keith Bennett, has never been found. But more recently, Saddleworth Moore hit the headlines again when a hiker found the body of a man in his 60s who had recently died on December 12, 2015. As you all know by now, I am from North East England. Saddleworth Moor is only a couple of hours away from where I live and I've driven across it hundreds of times travelling to and from Manchester and Liverpool. It's on the edge of the Peak District National Park, it's 
Typical moorland from northern England. A mixture of peaks and valleys, streams, brooks, flow through the moor. Trees, shrubs, lots of heather. Livestock roam freely, farm buildings pepper the landscape. Although there is now a huge motorway that passes along the edge of it, which makes some of it quite accessible, most of it is isolated and remote. Away from the roads, you can go for hours without seeing another human being. The hills are big. Some are easy climbs, others are steep and rough. You need proper clothing and supplies. The weather can be volatile and unpredictable. Turning on a dime, you can experience all four seasons in a single day. Winters are prone to heavy snowfall and freezing temperatures, and in the summers, wildfires can rage for literally weeks. All the romanticised ideas of a Bronte novel, and so much more. To me, this kind of barren wilderness is inspiring. I find beauty in these wild and desolate expanses. But it is not the kind of place that you just wander off into on a whim. Especially not in the winter. And yet, it seemed, at first glance, that that's what could have happened to this man who was found on a track near Dovestone Reservoir in the Chew Valley area of the Moors that December. The man was approximately six foot tall, had grey hair and brown eyes. Pathologists theorised that he was between the ages of 65 and 75. He was dressed in a smart shirt and trousers with just a thin jacket and slip-on shoes. He had no visible signs of injury. There was no signs of a struggle. In his pockets, he had £130 in £10 notes, along with a return ticket from uh, Manchester back to London, and a medicine box that had once contained thyroid medication, but the writing was in a mixture of English and Urdu. He had no mobile phone and no form of identification, which in this day and age is almost unheard of. Police and locals alike were baffled. They thought that nobody would willingly walk out onto the moors, even on an established trail like this one, in such unsuitable clothing in the middle of winter. But still, it wasn't actually treated as a suspicious death. A post-mortem examination found that the man had died from a massive overdose of strychnine. Not the accidental ingestion of rat poison, kind of strychnine poisoning, but a huge purposeful overdose of the poison. Police theorised that this man had taken his own life. It's not common, but it's also not unknown for people to walk out into the wilderness to end their own lives. The examination also found that the man had a surgical titanium plate in his thigh, which at the time, this particular plate was only available legally in Pakistan, and it was estimated to have been fitted between 2001 and 2007. Uh, the man was fingerprinted, but his prints and DNA were not on file in the UK or in Pakistan. Nor did he match the descriptions of any recent missing persons reports. The mortuary staff gave the man the placeholder name of Neil Dovestone, in reference to the Dovestone Reservoir close to where his body was found. This is actually a common thing for police and mortuary staff to do when they have an unidentified person, to give them a name. There's a number of reasons for this. Firstly, it helps mortuary staff because if they have a number of unidentified people, they have to they have to have a name to like differentiate between them. But there's a bit more psychology behind the second reason. 
Unidentified or John Jane Baby Does are just other names for anonymous, and without names or someone to look for them, these people just end up falling into the category of the less dead. People on the fringes of society who have nobody to look for them. Giving these people a name humanises them, gives them a bit of dignity, and it shows us, the general public, that these people are important to somebody, and that in turn makes us care about them, makes us remember them. Because the sad truth is that we quickly forget these unidentified does, John Jane baby. Because we're more likely to remember those who are named. From the return ticket found in the man's pocket, police were able to find him on CCTV on the previous morning of December 11th, the day before his body was found, when he had travelled on the London Underground from Ealing Broadway Station to Euston Station, where he boarded a train to Manchester Piccadilly. That afternoon, he made his way to the village of Greenfield on Saddleworth Moor. He went to a pub in the village and made inquiries about climbing to the top of what he called a mountain although it's more of a big hill than an actual mountain, and nobody locally called it a mountain. Anyway, it was called the Wimberley Stones, also known locally as Indian's Head. The hill overlooks Dovestone Reservoir, and it was actually the site of a fatal plane crash in 1949. According to BuzzFeed News, only two people survived this plane crash, and initially police believed that the man may have been one of those survivors, who had returned to the area to take his own life, but this man was traced by the BBC whilst they were reporting on the case and found to be alive and well in London, and therefore was ruled out of the investigation when he contacted Greater Manchester Police to tell them that he was alive. There were, and still are, many questions surrounding this man's death, but the issue of strychnine is kind of one of the biggest ones. We've talked a lot about poisoning in the various cases we've covered on this show. And in the UK, the poison is very tightly controlled and it's generally illegal for the average person to buy it. But in Pakistan, it is still widely available over the counter for use in rat poisons and other kinds of pest control. Regardless of where Neil Dovestone acquired the strychnine, the question still remained as to why someone would use it as a means of suicide. Poisoning deaths are incredibly painful and usually slow. Strychnine causes full body convulsions, rapid increase in blood pressure and heart rate, difficulty in breathing, and eventually death by asphyxia. Although not unheard of, it is still very rare for a person to end their own life using strychnine, and it's not something that police and coroners see very often. Some don't even see it ever in their careers. It took just over 13 months but in January 2017, police eventually managed to identify Neil Dovestone as 67-year-old David Lytton, a retired underground driver and croupier from London, who had sold up and moved to Lahore, Pakistan in 2006. The images of the man found on CCTV when he had travelled from London to Manchester were cross-referenced with images captured of men in his age range who had travelled from Pakistan to uh, to the UK and vice versa during this time that the metal plate would have been fitted and other times in like the last 10 years uh, obviously a lot of them didn't exist anymore in 10 years a lot of records have become digitized so not all the airlines still had these photos but where possible they got these images from planes 
they cross-referenced them with various flight manifests until they finally found David Lytton. They also cross-referenced them with flights that had landed in the UK after or around the time the thyroid medicine was dispensed. And they finally found David Lytton, who had flown from Lahore to London Heathrow on December 10th, 2015. The day before, he had travelled to Manchester and died on Saddleworth Moor. A living relative of David's was then contacted and his identity was finally confirmed via DNA test. A coroner's inquest was scheduled for May 2017, but even though the man now had been identified, there were still many, many questions about David Lytton, who he was and what he was doing on Saddleworth Moor that December day. David Lytton was born David Lautenberg in April 1948. His mother was of Jewish-Polish descent and her family had emigrated to the UK around the turn of the century. We don't know much about his father's family, other than that his father was the manager of a men's clothing shop in London when David was born and it is believed that he died when David was still fairly young. In the late 1960s, David, his brother Jeremy, and his mother changed their surname to the more anglicised name of Lawton, uh, rather than going by the German Lautenberg. Uh, this is according to the Guardian. You also say that David later changed his name to Lytton following a family feud. A former neighbour who met David in the early 1980s was in- introduced to him as Lytton, so sometime in the 70s that he changed his name for a second time. And these name changes explained why investigators struggled to find any entries of him in public records and why it took so long to identify him because there were no birth records or birth certificates saying David Lytton in 1948. Just David Lautenberg. David had studied psychology and sociology at Leeds University in the late 1960s but did not graduate. He then returned to London and worked a variety of jobs, but uh, his main job would be train driver on the London Underground. Just after leaving university, he met a woman named Maureen, who was aged 25, and the two began a relationship, which would last for 35 years. In the early 1980s, Maureen fell pregnant, but sadly she, she suffered a miscarriage. And there's no handbook for how to deal with the loss of a child. but. David reportedly did not cope with it well, and it led to bouts of depression that would last for years. And sadly, this will become important later on, so remember that. The couple split up in the early 2000s. Maureen went on to marry, and the two remained close and in touch until David left the UK in 2006. It has been reported that uh, despite remaining close friends, Maureen did not know that David had sold up and moved to Pakistan until a few weeks after he had left the country and uh, Maureen sadly passed away last year. A picture has been painted of David as a sort of introverted, private and lonely man who lived a very compartmentalised life, where various family members and friendship groups would not interact or know anything about each other. Despite being in a relationship with Maureen for 35 years, a friend of David's, who he had known for about 30 years, did not know of her or the relationship. But photos and videos have emerged in the last few years which show him laughing, joking, having fun with friends at a wedding, and people have spoken of him as a warm and friendly man, even if he was incredibly private and lived his life in a way that most of us find quite strange. 
Despite having a number of close friendships and relationships, nobody really knows why David left the UK and relocated to Lahore. Some neighbours have said that he had told them he could no longer afford the mortgage on his London home, and obviously Pakistan would have been a much cheaper place to live, but London's very expensive, other parts of the UK are cheaper. There are other parts of Southeast England that are a lot cheaper than London, so I'm not sure Lahore would have been my first choice, but for some reason that is, it was his first choice and it's where he went. But as I say, nobody really knows why. During this time, after selling up in London, David spent periods of time in Dubai, Florida and California with both Maureen and his brother, who he hadn't actually spoken to for about 10 years, believing that he was in California due to letters he had written in 2006 or 2007 having been postmarked in that state. After that, the brothers lost touch again as David never gave Jeremy his new address or just anywhere, even a postbox, for him to write to. Customs and border records show that David entered Pakistan in October 2006, leaving six months later in March 2007, and returning four days later, which was presumably to reset his tourist visa, as he did not have residency or any kind of work visa. He left again in November 2007, but there is reportedly no record of him re-entering Pakistan, but investigators found that he lived there right up until the day before he boarded the plane that took him back to London. So he spent over nine years in Lahore. And in that nine years, David had a couple of run-ins with Pakistani authorities. He had overstayed his visa at one point and was caught, was later caught again when he tried to re-enter the country with what has been described as a manipulated visa. Now I'm not sure if that means fraudulent or obtained by fraudulent means, it's just described as manipulated. He was twice imprisoned in Pakistan for visa infringements, according to BuzzFeed News. Despite this, his fingerprints and DNA were not on file in Pakistan, which does seem strange, but it is possible that some records weren't digitised at that point, especially fingerprints, so he could easily have slipped through the net and been missed when the National Crime Agency contacted Pakistani authorities for help identifying him. His current visa was also about to expire when David returned to the UK in December 2015, so it would have been his last chance really to leave the country legally and reset his visa again. The coroner's inquest opened in May 2017 and found that a friend had met David at the airport on December 10th, 2015. This friend gave evidence saying that David was planning to travel around the UK for the upcoming foreseeable future. He also said that he knew virtually nothing about David's private life, despite their 30-year friendship. And that's why he thought nothing of it when he didn't hear from David again for months after they parted way, and David had checked into his hotel. And this was the friend who had known David for 30 years and still didn't even know who Maureen was. Uh, The hotel stay also threw up more questions, as David had booked in for five nights to a hotel in London, but then stayed one night, left the following day, travelled to Manchester and then on to Saddleworth Moor, and ended his own life. The coroner recorded an open verdict in David's death. Now, this means that the court acknowledges that the death is suspicious, but is unable to come to any other conclusion 
such as homicide, death by misadventure, or accident. Crucially, it also means that they were not able to prove beyond reasonable doubt that David Lytton died by suicide. Although police were fairly confident from the start that David had taken his own life, their inability to prove it in the coroner's court has spurned all kinds of wild theories and conspiracies, with some even claiming that David Lytton was an international spy and that was the reason for him living in Pakistan and managing to avoid border control and that he was subsequently killed by our own people or a foreign agency. Uh, one of the main questions surrounding David's death is why he chose Saddleworth Moor to die. Obviously, we will never know for sure, but last year, someone from Manchester believed that they had solved that riddle. David was an underground driver in the 1980s, and around that time, Maureen had suffered a miscarriage, and there was this huge ad campaign on the underground encouraging businesses and people to relocate to Oldham, which is a town between Manchester and Saddleworth. And it was an attempt to reinvigorate the area, which, like much of the north, had been in industrial decline for a few decades. Now, the Wimbury stones were featured on the poster for you know, this ad campaign encouraging people to relocate to Oldham. So this man from Manchester believes that David would have the association of this intense pain and sorrow of losing a child with Oldham and Saddleworth Moor, and that that is why he chose this area to end his own life. I totally understand that theory. I'm not sure whether or not I agree with it. Um, there's been one documentary that I can find on Channel 4, it's called The Mystery of the Man on the Moor. So I watched this a few years ago when it came out, it's not currently available online, but I'm sure it's somewhere lurking on the internet, um, which interviews various uh, law enforcement uh, personnel in England and in Pakistan, and various people who were close to, to David Lytton. Um, that's sort of the main source of media. Obviously, it was kind of a big press fascination as well, because who in this day and age can just walk out onto the moors and die leaving no trace, which is essentially what he did. He had no wallet. He had cash, but he had no wallet. He had no ID. He had no passport. And those things have never been found. He obviously had suitcases coming back from Pakistan, but they've never been found either. And that has all added to this, like, long-running mystery that it now is, as to what what actually happened and why David Lytton came back to England just to take his own life. And one of the detectives who actually worked on this case with Greater Manchester Police said she's not convinced that David Lytton took his own life, um, that she believes someone else or something else may have been involved. And there's a few other detectives have said they have questions about this, especially the use of strychnine because it's such a horrible, painful death and it's not something you, you usually see. For a lot of these detectives, it was the first strychnine death they'd ever seen. So there are a lot of questions. The spy theory is... it's fun in the same way that the 
A Star Woman and the Jennifer Fairgate spy theories are fun because we like to fill in the gaps. It's, you know, we don't know why he was in Pakistan. There doesn't seem to be any sort of significant relationships or friendships there. So maybe he was there and he was a spy. There was so much upheaval and still is so much upheaval and unrest in the Middle East. And obviously Pakistan doesn't classify technically as the Middle East, but it is bordering the Middle East. So it does make sense. And it's a nice, again, kind of romanticized theory, but I'm not sure that I agree with it. If pushed for it, I think I would say I believe that he took his own life. It's incredibly sad. The theory that he had the association of death and pain with, you know, Oldham and Saddleworth Moor. I understand it. I don't know if, if that's necessarily true, but it would explain why he chose that area to die, if that's indeed what happened, because... There was no other link ever found uh, between uh, David Lytton and Saddleworth Moor, or even Oldham, or Manchester. So, we have no concrete answers, but that is the mystery of the man on the moors, uh, David Lytton. So, let us know your thoughts, and now we're going to go over to Taylor, who's going to give us her thoughts on this strange and sort of still unsolved case and I will see you all back here next week on the main show so enjoy see if you agree with my thoughts see what Taylor thinks and let us know because we would love your input because you've, you guys have probably all thought of something we haven't when looking into this case and uh, we'll see you all then so over to Taylor and bye bye Hi everyone. Uh, so yeah, this is um, a new fun format that we're trying out. Thank you, Kat, for telling us all this really interesting story. I've never heard of this case before, and it's definitely a head scratcher. So after listening to Kat tell us all about the case and then doing a little bit of reading on my own, what are my thoughts? Well, my initial reaction is definitely kind of the same as you said, Kat, that this sounds like a really sad story uh, about a man who kept to himself, lived a lonely life, and then ultimately decided to end his life. And I, I could buy... The, the concept of he'd seen this place in in advertisements when he was a train driver and that kind of stuck in his brain. I could see that happening because I think I've had associations like that as well of like certain things certain images certain places kind of stick in my mind during important moments or tough moments or whatever so I, I could totally see that um i don't know if that's true or not but it's a really interesting theory so cat talks about 
Um, nobody really knew why uh, David Lytton decided to go from London to Lahore, Pakistan. And I don't know why, but one thing I did see that I don't think Kat mentioned is that apparently he was really interested in other religions and he and he possibly converted to Islam at some point in the like 2000s. So that could have been a reason that he decided to leave London and go to Pakistan. Um, but again, it, it does seem like an extreme switch if he was just going to, you know, move out of London to save money. I did read an interview with Maureen, his former partner, and she said that, you know, like Kat mentioned, he didn't tell her that he was selling his place in London and leaving the country. And she thought it was really strange that he decided to do that because he had purchased uh, the house for something like 22,000 pounds and only owed 5,000 pounds on it. So the idea that he couldn't afford the mortgage payments does seem a little bit strange. Um, but again, he, he made a considerable amount of money on the sale, something like 220,000 pounds. So it could just be that he decided, I'm done with London. Let's go somewhere totally different. And that's what he did. Um, I think this spy theory, like Kat said, is interesting, but not super plausible. Um, I think in a lot of these mysterious death cases, uh, people jump to the idea of spies. And I do find that fascinating, but I think that it's it's probably a lot less common than we think. Um, and even if he was a spy, that's probably something we'll never know. So that kind of like lends lends credence to the to the theory and also makes it <laughs> all the more frustrating to think about i i think um what was interesting is in that same interview that i read with maureen she vehemently refuted the idea that david could have taken his own life uh she said that it was especially strange to her that he had taken an overdose of something, strychnine, uh, because she said he would never do drugs and that he uh, he was very particular about like what he put into his body, that, that he only ate vegetarian food. And she said it was really surprising to her that he would take any kind of drug, especially strychnine. And... She said that he had no time for drugs. Now, obviously, when a person is is in the mindset of wanting to to end their life, priorities change, habits change. So that could be an explanation of, of his choice to take drugs. But that is interesting that basically the person who seemingly knew him best, at least when he was living in the UK, uh, found it very surprising that that was the method he chose to to take his own life but yeah i don't know it's just, it's a weird one i 
I do think it's a bit strange that his suitcases and and other belongings have never been found. But I think that also could probably be chalked up to the length of time that it took to identify him. Um, because, you know, stuff gets lost, stuff stuff that's left places gets thrown out or, or whatever. So I think that's possibly what could have happened. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's a head scratcher to me. I have no idea what exactly happened. My gut is to say that, yeah, this man just decided to, to take his own life. But of course, as with it, almost everything in the world, there's always... There are always multiple possibilities, so we would love to turn the question over to you guys and see what you think. If you have any other theories, if you've read any other research, um, as always, we'll put some links in the post so you can read more and and use those as jumping off points if you're super interested. Uh, And yeah, let us know what you think. Let us know what you think about this new format. And we will see you very soon. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Goodbye.